This is Garth, broadcasting from the Lost Cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts. Today, we're going to discuss and visit a truly lost Massachusetts place, a place that is no longer part of the state. It's a place that was so cut off that it literally became cut off. This was a lawless place that some people called Hell's Acres. And the town's demise was brought on by a historic spectacle, an illegal event that resulted in a fateful riot. So sit back and hear the tale of Boston Corners. So I'm driving through quaint, picturesque, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and I am attempting to get to the furthest southwestern portion of Massachusetts, but I've actually driven as far west as the road will permit me in this part of the state. Uh, There is a uh, large mountain range here, And there are no roads that go through it, and there never have been any roads that go through it. I could stop and hike through the mountains to get to where I want to go to, uh, the point of this particular episode. But that would take me a couple of days, maybe even, to get through that wilderness. And uh, it's the middle of January. Uh, I'm not in the mood to uh, hike and camp in the winter right now. So I'm going to have to find an alternate way to get to this place that I'm trying to get to. So now I'm way out on Route 23 West, and I am about to cross the New York border. So I have to get across the New York border in order to reach this lost Massachusetts place. Yes, of course. Now the sign says, Welcome to the Empire State. I have left Massachusetts and I am driving through very picturesque mountain ranges, lots of ski resorts up here. Very, uh, very nice time of the year to be driving through here. Everything's covered in snow and looks like a postcard. All right, let's stop for a second, and I have an exercise for you. I want you to find a map, not even a map, but just an image of the shape of Massachusetts. And I want you to look at that lower left-hand southwest corner, and you'll notice that it's not a corner. You would think because of the straight east to west line and the more or less straight north to south line that there would be a right angle at the bottom of Massachusetts but there isn't it's completely cut off and that's what this is all about so 
What does that line represent that used to be the corner of Massachusetts? Well, that's the Taconic Mountain Range. And even today, you'll notice that it's kind of like an impenetrable stone wall between you and the other side. And you have to drive either very far north or very far south to get around it. So I want you to imagine also what that would have been like in the early part of the 19th century before any of these roads were standardized. It was almost impossible to get to the other side where that sort of desperate corner of Massachusetts used to be. This is the story of what happened to that little segment. So, my directions have taken me off the main highway and I'm going down a side, eh, not quite dirt, but not quite paved either road. And um, it does feel like you are driving off of the map and into some unknown place. In this mysterious place that we have fallen into, this pocket off of the main road, it was actually the most northern part of a larger sort of ungoverned structure that was known as the Oblong. And the Oblong was a section of land that was, get this, 60 miles long, but only two miles wide, and was the result of poor land surveying between Connecticut and New York. And many towns within the Oblong have records which exist in both states. And again, if you look at a map of this area, of this tri-state area, you'll notice that there is a shift over to the right from New York to Connecticut along the Massachusetts border, where this sort of section, the Oblong, was eventually absorbed to New York. And of course, anytime you drive between Connecticut and New York, you're actually passing through this void, vague territory um, that exists along the border. If you had to imagine that the Oblong was its own state, uh, you might say that Stamford or Greenwich would be the capital. It wasn't until the 18th century that the actual border was solidified. But this is a distraction from our main story, which is about the Massachusetts section of the Oblong and how it came to be a lawless haven. Technically, being in Massachusetts, the law in New York State wouldn't pursue problems there and technically being behind a mountain range the law in Massachusetts couldn't do anything about them either. It became a pass-through for fugitives from various states and the people of Boston Corners didn't pay taxes and didn't obey the laws that they didn't feel like obeying. They didn't vote in elections they basically just didn't participate 
in civilized society outside of their own town. And while most residents probably just wanted to go about their own business, there were other people who saw opportunity, especially as a railroad from New York was being built to pass through the town. So an inn and a grocery store was created, and these places became havens for gambling and uh, even dueling on the streets of the town. There was a particular gang that operated out of Boston Corners that was fond of stealing horses from Saratoga Springs and actually dyeing the horses a different color and then racing them somewhere else. As the reputation there grew for bootlegging and contraband, some of the uh, more reasonable residents would regularly petition the state of New York to become part of it. And part of the problem for New York is that even though it was technically closer to places in New York, it still wasn't that close. Even the towns now around the old Boston corners are quite far away. It's isolated even in modern times. But all of this illicit activity within this vague borderland void it eventually all came to a screeching halt, and it came to an end at a uh, almost apocalyptic moment for the small town that we'll describe. But first, let's take a look at the marker that's actually at the center of the current Boston Corners. And so I'm standing in front of a uh, typical blue and yellow New York State landmark sign, and this says, Border Marker. Stone survey marker on this site determined the southwest corner of Massachusetts, a.k.a. Boston Corner, land ceded to New York State in 1855. So that's a pretty dry description of a separation of a town from Massachusetts, and it completely leaves out uh, probably one of the rem most remarkable incidents in the town's history. And it could be that that's the kind of thing that people actually want to forget. Among all of the other illicit activities that found their home in this particular place, one of them was boxing. Now today, boxing is a heavily regulated, it's probably the most heavily regulated uh, sports in the world. But back then, there were no regulations because boxing was illegal. And it was something that was taken very seriously in various communities. There were, of course, underground boxing clubs in various places, but the government was frequently cracking down on these events. So you have to imagine that aside from what many people see as the brutal violence of the sport itself, it also seemed to attract a lot of other rowdiness and gambling and other types of illicit behavior that would happen in the fringes. It was not something that people in tasteful, polite society wanted to have anything to do with, that they admitted. 
boxing was actually quite popular in its underground facility. And, of course, Boston Corner was the regional mecca for illegal boxing matches. So promoters, if you could call them that, arranged for a title championship bout to occur in Boston Corner. Much of the illegal boxing world at that time was controlled by immigrant Irish gangs from New York. And the two fighters in this match weren't so much athletes as they were members of two rival gangs. The first fighter was Yankee Sullivan, a.k.a. James Ambrose, a.k.a. Frank Murray, a.k.a. James Sullivan. And he came to America via the penal colonies in Australia. He lived in the rock section of Sydney, which was considered at the time one of the most dangerous places to live in the world. He had been sent to the penal colony because of his fighting on the streets of London. In America, he was part of the enforcement machine of the infamous Tammany Hall. He was one of the many Irish gang members who would collect money from people and uh, go after politicians who hadn't voted in the way that they had been instructed to. Violent political street battles were very common in New York at the time, and Sullivan would have been one of these major participants. This era of political street violence preceded the Civil War. The other boxer was John Old Smoke Morrissey, who's considered by some to be America's first Irish mob boss. Morrissey was the head of the notorious Dead Rabbits, and actually, in a shootout in a saloon on Broadway, he killed Bill the Butcher Poole. You may know some of these names and events from the movie Gangs of New York by Martin Scorsese. Bill the Butcher is uh, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, and a character which supposedly could be loosely based on Morrissey would be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Bill the Butcher was the leader of the Bowery Boys, a protection organization for the American Know-Nothing Party. And these battles that played out on the streets of New York were between the natural-born American citizens and the what they considered the plague of European invaders that were coming. And even though Morrissey was a violent criminal and shot down another man, that didn't get in the way of his political success. He was elected to Congress from New York, even though he operated gambling halls, brothels, and illegal saloons. So hopefully this paints a picture of the menace that was coming to Boston Corners. We're not just talking about two pugilists. We're talking about two hardcore criminals who were used to engaging with their army of compatriots in violent street battles. This was ordinary life for them. And where they were going 
was a small town with 150 permanent residents. Along with these two boxers who were gang leaders came 5,000 people from New York who wanted to see the fight. Many of these people were gang members themselves. You could probably imagine the terror that arose at the sight of thousands of angry, drunken, city-born folks descending on this tiny town in western Massachusetts. And pretty much everything that they would have been worried about in seeing this was about to come true. Even though there were no formal boxing leagues, Sullivan was considered to be the champion and Morrissey was considered to be the challenging underdog. A boxing ring was constructed in an abandoned brickyard in Boston Corner. And on October 12th, 1853, the bell was rung and what was considered then to be the fight of the century began. Morrissey was younger, 30 pounds heavier, and taller than Sullivan. He loomed over him in the ring. But that being said, Sullivan's wife jumped into the ring and she laid down $1,000, claiming that her husband would draw the first blood. And just as she expected, Morrissey's eye was blackened by the end of the first round. And this pattern actually continued round after round after round. In fact, this ended up being a 37-round fight. Tensions and excitement grew in the audience as well, and fights were constantly breaking out. At one point, Sullivan looked over and saw a friend of his take one in the jaw and jumped out of the ring himself to stop the fight. By all accounts, by the end of the 37th round, Morrissey had been badly beaten, but he refused to go down. In the confusion, what ended up happening is still debatable. Some say that Sullivan threw an illegal punch, while the referee tried to call the fight he asked for Sullivan to respond, and we didn't hear him. The referee declared Morrissey the victor. Given that half the audience now felt cheated, given that the entire audience was completely intoxicated, and most of them were hardened gang members, complete chaos erupted. The enraged boxing fans started tearing up the town. They invaded people's houses, looking for food. They robbed every kitchen. They went into people's farms and they took their pigs, slaughtered them right out in the middle of the street, and built bonfires to cook the meat on. Many of the residents themselves jumped onto trains and escaped to safety. Law enforcement from Massachusetts eventually arrived and arrested the boxers. Yankee Sullivan would later escape and jump bail and would find himself hanged in San Francisco. Morrissey paid a fine and went back to New York. When the dust settled, the people of Boston Corners took their town and moved to New York. In 1855, Congress officially redrew the border, eliminating the corner forever.
and also just right at the where the marker is there is a, a bicycle rail trail and the rail trail follows the original railroad that used to go through here and this stop where the marker is was actually the uh, Boston Corner Rail Station. If you are driving around out here and you, uh, you drive down Boston Corners Road and then at some point you turn right on Boston Corners Road and then you turn left on Boston Corners Road and you may think that you're caught in a vortex. No, it's, it's all, the, all the roads in the center are named Boston Corners Road, but you get out and there's actually other roads that will uh, have interesting things on them. And if you hang out after the commercial, I will give you directions to Boston Corner as well as the Oblong in New York. Directions to Boston Corner uh, and the Oblong and other landmarks. Now, I may have flipped back and forth between calling this Boston Corner and Boston Corners. It appears both ways on different maps and in different articles I've read. They also refer to it as Hell's Acre, part of the Oblong. There's a bunch of other uh, local names. It may have been called technically part of Mount Washington when it was part of the state of Massachusetts. So the easiest way to get out there from Massachusetts is to take Interstate 90. Go west on Interstate 90 as far as you can. And then when you hit the New York border, you get onto Route uh, 22 South. You are going to pass through Austerlitz, Green River. You're going to pass through His Hillsdale. You're going to pass through Copake, which I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly. And once you drive out of that town, pay close attention to the left side of the highway and look for an actual sign that says to Boston Corner and then an actual street sign to Boston Corner. You're gonna drive down that um, not quite main road that I talked about earlier. There really is nothing left of the old town. Uh, you can find the marker. Uh, and if you drive past the marker, you look for Underhill Road. You turn up Underhill Road and on that road is a marker that commemorates the, uh, the famous fight between Sullivan and Morrissey. Also on this road, you will find the Mount Alander Trailhead, and there's a hiking trail there. And if you follow that trail, you will get to, out in the woods, you'll get to the New York-Massachusetts Border Monument on the Red Trail. I think it's about a 30 to 40 minute hike. If you want to visit the Oblong, uh, you want to see this state that never was, that uh, never came to be, you will have to uh, drive uh, much further south on 22. And if you go to Pauling, New York, and you take a left or go east on Quaker Hill Road, 
you will find the plaque monument to the oblong. Enjoy your travels, uh, be safe, and if you want to take any of the uh, rail trail biking paths up there in the summer, I would absolutely recommend it. And I will dig up some rail trail maps for that area and put them in the show notes. Enjoy. We hope you enjoyed that trip into a 19th century riot that changed forever the shape of Massachusetts. I'm sure if you drive far enough into the woods, you can eventually find an illegal boxing match somewhere to watch. Next time, we're going to be questing for a mythical beast in the woods of Western Massachusetts. For now, This is Garth reminding you that it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog. Or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place. And find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also, go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun.